This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com. Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. We are on page 73. And he's explaining, he begins the letter. It says that David made a name. And the Zohar says it literally means he made God's name. And how? Through tzedakah. So to explain what it means that you make God's name, he quotes the Chazal, the rabbis who say, explain the verse, be Yudke with God's name, which is spelled Yudke, the world was created, and specifically the, the Yud, Hashem created Olam Haba, the world to come, meaning the world of the souls, and with the Yehei, Hashem creates this world. So first, he explained, he, began to, he begins to explain that with the Yud, Olam Haba is created. So he explains what is Olam Haba. What is unique about Olam Haba? The world to come, which is the afterlife, the soul and the afterlife. And this is unique to Olam Haba because you have a spiritual world. But then you have Ganeden. We call Ganeden the Garden of Eden. Within the spiritual world, this is the Garden of Eden. This is the special reward for the souls having lived in this world and gone through life. This is the reward for their Torah and the mitzvah. So what is their reward? That they, they live in the Garden of Eden. What is the Garden of Eden? It's like a paradox. On one hand, it's a place of pleasure. What gives a person pleasure? What gives a person pleasure is when you understand something, when you grasp something. So what gives a person pleasure is there has to be an eye that's grasping. And something makes sense to you and something you absorb and you internalize and you get something, you acquire something, it gives you tremendous pleasure. But you have to firmly grasp it, understand it, internalize it, absorb it. If you don't understand an idea, it doesn't really give you pleasure. It's only when you fully master the idea, grasp the idea, firmly understand the idea, it gives you pleasure. So on one hand, there is an I. I understand, I grasp. But, on the other hand, what is the pleasure? The pleasure is that the soul gets to experience the light of Hashem. Hashem is infinite. And His light is infinite. So the soul gets to experience godliness. So it's not just an understanding, a logical understanding, an abstract understanding, but it's actually experiential. The soul gets to experience godliness. And basically understanding something that's really beyond your grasp. Hashem is infinite, God is infinite, His light is infinite. So you, you, you're, you're experiencing and understanding something that's beyond, beyond your grasp. So you're grasping, what are you grasping? Something that's really beyond 
your grass. It's experiential, it's godly, and yet you're able to absorb it. This is what the Zohar refers to, the point, the dot, in the palace. The palace is huge. The palace has width, has height, has length. The palace refers to the level of Bina, which is understanding, comprehension, forming it, flushing it out, fully grasping and understanding. The dot, however, represents Chachma. Chachma, wisdom. And, we, and he explained here which level of wisdom we're referring to. We're referring to the essence of wisdom. Not the wisdom which is the beginning of Bina, which is when you have an idea and a vague understanding, but the pure experience, the felt, sen- the felt sense, sensing something that's really beyond words. That is really the essence of Chach. And there are people who go through life and don't even know it exists. There are people who are brilliant, analytical, but they don't have a creative bone in their body and don't have a creative spark in their body. And they have no window to the soul, no connection, no pure experience. And it's this point, which is really the point of emes, of truth. Because truth is about experience. <coughs> if something resonates within you, if something... It, it, it touches something within you. It's not just abstract, intellectual, conceptual. When it becomes personal, when it becomes, when it, it, it touches you, it's, it's almost physical in a sense, because it's experiential. It's like, it's like a gut knowledge, a knowledge, something that you know with every fiber of your being, every bone in your body. It's not just intellectual. It's like you jump. When something hits you and you jump, you physically jump, you respond. You know, sometimes a person, you can even feel it physically. You see, like, like suddenly it's as if, it's as if you, you're holding your breath. And suddenly when, get, when you get something, and it's, like an exp- it's a physical experience. You, phys- you experience a change, a shift, almost like a, a, rela- a relaxing of this tension. All of a sudden you feel it. Ten- because you experience. It's, it's a knowledge where you experience things. You feel things more than just understanding. Intellectual is brilliant and abstract. It's all in the head. It's all in the mind. It's not direct. It's not experiential. It's not a revelation. It's not... The essence of Chachma almost hits you like a revelation. And you physically respond. You physically jump up. Because it's so... It's so it touches you in such a deep place. It's such a deep knowledge that most people are not even aware of. You can go through the whole life and they don't even realize that there is such a level of knowledge. Why? Because all the brilliance in the world, you can't think your way logically to emes. You know, you're trying to figure out a problem in your life and you figure, you're thinking and thinking and th- you think something, something to death and you talk it to death and you analyze it to death and in America you go to therapy to death <laughs> and you pay with your wallet to, to, to death, you know, till, but you're talking and talking and talking and talking, but there's no movement, there's no change, there's no, nothing shifts, nothing moves, nothing changes. Because you're just, be- you're just beating around the bush, you're going around circles. You can't think your way through the problem. But one moment, one quality moment of Chachma, one wisdom of, of, of the essence of Chachma, of direct experiencing, then something shifts inside of you, something changes inside of you. 
you physically feel a difference. An opening, a change, a movement forward. And you feel a relief. What happened? Externally, nothing changed. It's not like you have insights. You can, you can go to your therapist and tell you, you know, the reason why you're having this problem is because when you were three-year-old, this happened to you. Okay, very nice. <laughs> doesn't change how I experience. doesn't change how I think. It doesn't change anything. Now I'm wiser. Okay, now I know why. You know, the mother was bragging about her child. My son, he, he went to university. He has a degree in economics. He has a degree in psychology. He has a degree in politics. So the, guy, so the, uh, the friend says he must be very proud of his son. He says, yeah, he, listen, he can't, find, he can't make a living, can't find a job, but at least he knows why. <laughs> he understands why. So all the understanding in the world doesn't really get to the place where change happens. So it's like a different universe. Chachma, the essence of Chachma is a different universe. It's not just it's the beginning of Bina. It's that eureka moment when suddenly you, f- you feel I have, I have the beginning of an answer. I see the light at the end of the tunnel. It's a different level of knowing. It's a different level. It's pure experience. It's emes. It's what the Zohar calls the nakuda, the dat. It keeps us honest. It's to the point. It's always to the point. Bina, you can beat around the bush and go in circles and you go nowhere. So you're brilliant. But one moment of chachma, one dat, one point of chachma, one revelation can get you out of your, you can feel stuck. And for years you felt stuck. And just knowing why and the reasons why doesn't help you. So I know why, so what? Doesn't change anything. I'm still stuck. And no matter how brilliant you are and how little you are and how detached you are, it doesn't help. All the words and all the explanations and all the logic in the world. But one experience of Chachma, one can shift and change your whole life. It opens you up. And now all of a sudden change is possible. And you won't be the same. Now how you'll approach it will be different. You'll experience it different. Because you change. Chachma is a very deep down, almost a subconscious, a gut level, a subconscious. It's the window to the soul. So he, that's what he refers to, the higher level of Chachma. And this is really why Gan Eden, why Gan Eden, within the spiritual world itself, there's a garden of Eden for the soul, which is reserved for the souls who live in this world and study Torah and did mitzvah, and then they go to the eternal reward. And that's why the, the rabbis say that Olam Habo is created with a Yud. The Yud, as we're going to start saying now, is the Dat, the Pintle. The Yud is the smallest letter. It's a Dat. That refers to Chachm, the essence of Chachm, the higher level of Chachm, which is really the pleasure from the experience. It's indescribable pleasure. On the other hand, the pleasure is, comes from Bina when you understand it. When you fully grasp it and understand it and put it into words. And the Chachma, you can't put it into words. It's pure experience. So this is, that's what the Zohar says, that the Kanadin is like the perfect marriage. It's the point, it's the emes, together in, in the palace, together. Each one complements the other. Not only is it not two different worlds, 
but they both complement each other and they merge and they come together. It's the left brain and the right brain coming together, which is rare and unique. And, it, and the result is the most exquisite pleasure imaginable. And this is not natural. It doesn't come naturally. Naturally, it's two different worlds. The right brain, the left brain, the creative brain, the, the bina, the analytical mind. It's two different people, two different universes. The person who's pure experiential, the artist, the creative person, doesn't have words. It's very, everything is artsy and vague and fuzzy. And The person who's very analytical doesn't have an artistic bone in his body. But it's very analytical and logical. And <laughs> but here it's the merger of these two worlds. It's Chachman, the Kuda Bechala, the point in the palace. And this is Elam Haba, it's not just the Yud, it's the yud, combination of the Yud and the He, which is the, origin, the higher He, which is Chachma and Bina. So the point, the Yud represents the point, the Dat. Why does the Yud represent the point? Because the point is like, uh, it's just, it's that flash, it's that revelation, it's, it's beyond words. It's just that pure experience. So that's the point. And that's represented by the Yud. And he's going to explain, very interestingly, how the combination the combination of Chachma and Bina. Why the rabbis say that Elam Haba is the Yud? Since Elam Haba is primarily the He, which is the Bina, the understanding, the grasping. But it also has the Yud. Why do we say that the Elam Haba, the Ganeden, the world to come, and the afterlife is primarily the Yud? It should be primarily He, and it also has a Yud also. And that's, that's, that's what we're going to learn today. That's what he's going to explain. In the Holy Zohar, therefore, Chachma is referred to as the dot in the palace. Chachma is the dot or point of intellect that illumines the palace of Bina. Nevertheless, even when already housed in Bina, it still remains a seminal point of intellect that transcends the details that constitute the comprehension of Bina. Indeed, this is the shape of the Yud of the four-letter name of Hashem, the letter Yud is shaped like a point, alluding to the sphere of Chachma, which is a mere point. So we already learned at the end of Shari Yichud Vemunu, uh, the 12th chapter, that the shape of the letters reflects the meaning of the letter. Every letter is a different channel of the divine energy. So the shape of the letter tells us the numerical value of the letter, the shape of the letter, the form tells us everything about the letter. So the fact that the letter Yud is a dot, just one single dot, that reflects the experiencing. It's like the smallest letter, the tiniest letter. Like you, you, you touch it with the quill, the, the sofa touches it with the quill and you already have the Yud. Just the dot. It's the beginning of all the other letters. So that's like the undifferentiated it's like when you see something, when you experience something, you see something, you see it as a whole. You see it all together. Thousands of details. You don't see details. When you analyze something, you break it down into details, into 
you become very verbal and verbose, but when you see something, I see the whole thing, I see the whole picture, I see comprehensively. It's like a dot, it's one point. It's not broken down. Now, the Yud, it's an inaccurate, it's, but it's the closest we get. Why is it inaccurate? Because physically, it's impossible to really get a dot. There's no such thing as a dot. Because any dot you put down on the paper, take the Yud on this paper, on this page, take this Yud, you can break it down into half. And then you can take that and break it down into half. And you keep on slicing and slicing. Today you have a billionth of a, of a here. You can continue slicing and slicing. So physically, you, you never really reach a point where there's only a dot. Every dot is really also a, a, a space. It has a width and it has length and it has height. It's impossible to get a pure dot. Physically, it's impossible to get a pure dot. Conceptually, there is an idea of a pure dot. But the closest we get physically is the letter Yud, when you write a dot. But it's because, it's the, because the physical does have physical limitations. So we cannot really, in the physical world, you don't really have a pure dot. The idea is first you have a dot, and then when the dot spreads, suddenly now I have length, I have width, I have height. I have dimensions. But that dimension is made up of many dots. It starts out every dot is a dot. But in the physical, it's very hard to find a pure dot. But it's the closest we get. So when you see a yud, it reminds you of the pure conceptual dot, which is chach. Chachma is a pure dot. It's all comprehensive. It's, it's thousands and millions of details coming together in one split second. You remind yourself of a beautiful opera you went to. You know how many? A hundred-piece orchestra. The opera was four hours with intermission. With you know how many details went into that opera? Now when you sit and remind yourself and think of that opera, you think you have to think of the thousands and tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of details went into that opera? You just, you just summon it all up in one felt sense. And all those details come together in one, someone walks in the room. We all have feelings towards people walking into the room. <laughs> Some people make us glad. You know, so there was a sign that says, anyone who walks into this room makes me happy. Someone they come in, someone they leave. But, but everyone, we, have a re <laughs> we, we have a response to everyone. You know? Now, it's not like you have to logically sit and think through everything you said to that person, everything that person said to you. You know this person for decades. It's one split second. It just comes to you. All those thousands and uh, tens of thousands of details. It's a different type of knowledge. You know, it's almost like in the computer world. They're working today in parallel computer using the DNA. Because the binary computer that we use today is so limited. It's, it's, it's yes and no. Everything is detailed and specific. But the body, the DNA of the body works in a different dimension. The body of billions of interactions happening simultaneously, one split second. Imagine a parallel computer that works in DNA, which they're working on right now. What we have today will be like <laughs> so slow. I mean, it'll take it to a whole different level. So that's the level of the dot. That's the level of chachm. When you experience something, you're taking it all in. It's subconscious. You're taking it all in in one split second. It's, it's, it's a whole different dimension of knowledge that's so beyond us. Because our whole conscious frame of reference is linear. No, one by one. It's like when you listen. 
when you hear something, if you miss one word, I miss the whole connection. I miss the train of thought. But when you see something in one second, I see the whole picture. You don't miss anything. It's a different way. That's the essence of Chachma. It's seeing. It's experiencing. It's a subconscious type of knowledge. It's a deeper type of knowledge. It's a parallel type of knowledge where tens of thousands all come together. And that's why a person can never really think their way through a problem. Logically. You can analyze from today till tomorrow. You're wasting your time. You know, there's a... There was a very interesting study done by psychologists at the University of Chicago in the 1960s. They asked themselves an honest question that they dare not ask publicly. Why is it that most therapy fails? People come, spend years and years and years, pay top dollar. And the therapist says, listen, you'll have a friend for life, you'll pay for a friend for life. That's not the way it's supposed to be. You're supposed to, if you have a problem, you're supposed to resolve it and move on. Why is it that it fails? And they decided to do a study. What? Denial. No, they did a study. And they were shocked by what they discovered. They thought, they were certain, that the differences in the patients, if a patient is more mature, maybe the difference in the therapist, if the therapist was more inspiring, wiser. They taped tens of thousands not hundreds of thousands of sessions, all different schools of therapy, all different patients. And it was very clear. They broke it down to, th- to categories, those who were not successful. In other words, the patient said a year later they're getting nowhere. The doctor says we're getting nowhere, we're beating around the bush. Versus those cases where the patient said, and the doctor said there's an amazing breakthrough, and the patient felt an amazing breakthrough, and also objectively it was clear that there was some movement, some change. And they found there was one common denominator. And it had nothing to do with how good the therapists were. The therapists were all good. They were sincere. There was no difference. The patients were sincere. They're paying all this money. They want to get better. It takes a lot of courage to go to therapy. To open up and to admit that I have a problem and I need help. That, uh, to make yourself vulnerable like that takes a tremendous courage. So they were open to change. They were ready to change. And, and they said when they did this study, after they did this study, they can pinpoint just listening the first, first, second, or third session, they can tell you right away, this person is wasting his time. He's going to be going to therapy for the next four years, spend hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's a waste of time. He's not going to make any progress. And this person, you can tell after the first session, this person is, is going to And nothing to do with the therapist. Nothing to do with what the therapist did. It had everything to do with what the patient did. And the patient themselves didn't even realize what they were doing. What was the difference? And based on this, they created a whole movement in psychology, fascinating, whole new approach in psychology, which is basically a self-help. Different than all the other psychology, it's self-help. It's about you helping yourself. Ultimately, like any good doctor, the body heals itself. You can just help the body heal itself. But you're not the healer, and the doctor is not the wise man who's giving you advice, and you're not the wise man who's giving yourself advice. It's about helping yourself. And how is that? What, what was the difference that they detected? Very simple difference. The, those therapies, those sessions, where the patient was very much in his head, brilliant, analytical, smart, clever, articulate, figured it all out, 
understood everything. That person was wasting his time. They cried, but they were stuck. They were getting nowhere. Four years later, they're stuck at, at it's neutral. <laughs> stuck at the same point. No change, no movement whatsoever. Versus those patients who right at the first session, they were at a loss for words. They were like trying to articulate something that was inarticulate. They couldn't articulate. It was not exactly like this. They were trying to put into words something that they really couldn't put into words. In other words, they were in touch with a subconscious place inside of themselves that couldn't readily and easily be put into words. The brilliant analytical person who has words and descriptions, explanations for everything, he's stuck on the Bina level. He's stuck on the conscious level and, and you're getting nowhere. There's no change. That's not where change comes from. And nothing happens. But the person who had like that chachma, that even, even without even realizing it, not deliberately and consciously, but they just had, they were like inarticulate, groping for words, trying to, not exactly like that, I can't, I can't explain it, how do I say it, what do I, it means they were trying to describe an experience that they couldn't put easily into words. They were in touch with a very deep down place inside of themselves where change happened. And once the psychologist realizes, they created a whole school called Focusing, Actually, I would recommend this book to anyone because it's the best psychology book I ever read in my life. And it basically helps a patient help them. So if a therapist tells you, I'm going to be your paid friend for the next four years, run for the hills. You you're the only judge. There's no wise man who's wise enough is going to tell you. And you're not wise enough to figure it out yourself. You can analyze it to death. You won't figure out what your problem is. It comes from humility getting your ego out of the way, going to a place that's beyond words, trying to, to f- directly feel and experience. Because everything that happens in our life really comes as deep-rooted, comes from our experience. But then it gets clogged up with words, and it gets so clogged up with words that we, get, we, we drown in words. And then it takes all the life out of it, it drains all the life out of us, it drains all the pleasure out of us, it drains all the fun out of us, it drains all the love out of us, and all the innocence, and and purity and goodness and wholesomeness and you're so analytical and brilliant and yet you have you, you're stuck with all your brilliance and the more brilliant you are <laughs> the more you become twisted in your own rationalizations and, and, see, and even if you understand I understand I analyze it I'm, I'm, the reason I'm this way is because my mother did this and my father said this or this one you're just as stuck as you were before doesn't mean anything, doesn't add anything, doesn't do anything, doesn't change anything. But, but if you're able to tap into that deep place inside of you, where the raw experience actually happens, which is almost physical, it's not just in your head, it's in your gut, it's in your, with every fiber of your being, every bone in your body. This is pure chach. This is a point. This is beyond words. This is, this is experiencing it th- th- directly. And experiencing it in its totality. And it's very raw. It's very difficult to put into words. Because it transcends words. It, 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 it encompasses tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, millions of, of details. It's beyond words. But it's a deep down knowing that once you know it, it's almost like a physical relief. You feel something shifted inside, something changed. Inside. 
this is pure Chachma. This is the level of Chachma that he's talking about over here. This is represented by the Dat. This is Emes. Emes changes you. Emes inspires you. Emes moves you forward. And that's the sign of Emes. If you hear words and it falls flat, so what? Who cares? So now I know, okay, my mother did this to me and therefore I'm this way. So what? Does it change me? Does it inspire me? Did it uplift me? Did it... Then it's not Emes. It's brilliant, but who cares? It's a palace without a dot. There's no Emes. There's no truth. No Emes. Emes truth is not a good translation. But Emes is not... No absolute Emes. But when... If you hear words, and those words inspire you, it resonates. It almost physically resonates. You respond. Your body responds like, 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 a, like a load off your chest. Like a, load, a stone off your chest. Uh, you feel a relief. It's not just an insight, intellectual insight. It's... it's you feel a movement, an opening, a movement forward, a change, a shift. You, you could have been stuck in this position for years, for decades. And now all of a sudden there's an opening, there's a movement, there's a change. And you feel it even physically. This is the dot. This is emes. This is what illuminates us. And that's why Chachma is the king. Chachma is the... Uh, is Yosef HaTzadik, who is the king, who is Chachma, the dreamer. Because it comes from, a, it's almost like a dream state, almost like a trance state. It's from a very deep down place level of awareness within us that few of us deliberately and consciously are able to access. But the pleasure is indescribable because it's real. You feel, even if externally you couldn't solve your problem, but just having that level of experience and being able to move forward, you already feel better. What changed? Nothing changed externally. You changed. And therefore, you're going to live life differently. You'll experience whatever you're experiencing it entirely in a different way. So you, you don't get stuck. You're able to get beyond it. So this is the level of Chachma. It's a, it's a very deep down level. And this is the point. This is what the Neshama experiences in Ganeden. This is experiencing godliness because it's going beyond the verbal, it's going beyond ego, it's going beyond the limited. It's like an, it's tasting from the unlimited, the infinite. It's a taste of the infinite. It's a window to the soul, to Hashem, to the infinite, to, and it's indescribable. That's why it's Ganeden. It's a pleasure, a garden of Eden. It's a reward for the soul. That's where he says it's called Eden. Continue. Chachma is also referred to as Eden, of which it is said, no eye has beheld it, i.e. it is a kind of illumination that transcends and defies comprehension. It completely defies comprehension. Okay, now, but this leads us back to the question. We all know, and he said earlier, Gan Eden is a place, a place of pleasure. But how do you have pleasure? You only have pleasure from words. When you understand something, when you grasp something, when you can't put it into words, you don't have the ultimate pleasure. Ultimate pleasure is when you master it, when you're able to put it into words. And, see, and here we just finished saying that Gan Eden is the Yud. The Yud is the point. 
the point, the pure experience that transcends words, that's infinite. That represents the subconscious, it's beyond words, it's a whole different dimension of knowing and knowledge and awareness and the pure experience. So what is it? Is Ganeden the hay, the, the first level, the first hay of Hashem's name, which is, represents the palace, just like the hay has the space, the width, the height, the length. And that represents the understanding, the grasping. Or is it the point? Zohar says it's both. It's the point. That's the uniqueness of Gan Eden. That's why it's such a reward. It's the point in the palace. But the question remains, why did the rabbis say that the Yud, Elam Haba, was created with the Yud? It should, it should be Elam Haba was created the Yud and the Hay. And yet the rabbis say, no, the Pasuk says, the verse says, be Yud. Elam Haba was created with the Yud. Gan Eden is with the Yud, primarily the Yud. Why primarily the Yud? You need both. You say in Ganeden you have both. You have the understanding, but what are you grasping? The infinite, the divine. Why do we single out the youth? That's what he's going to explain here. It's a fascinating explanation, understanding. And he quotes the Zohar. He's on the top of page 74 is going to quote the Zohar. Moreover, Chochmah is referred to as the father who founded the daughter. Chochmah is the father or source of the letters of speech which are called the daughter, the level of Malkut. One might have expected the letters of speech to derive from the emotive faculties, the Midot, or from Bina, for surely a person articulates letters of speech when he seeks to express an emotion or to speak of an idea that he has comprehended. The Alter Rebbe, however, now goes on to explain that the letters of speech in fact derived from Chochmah, which transcends comprehension. He's going to explain understanding comes from being able to articulate, from being able to find words to explain an idea, to explain the concept. But where do words and letters come from? You would think the words and letters come from logic or from feeling. When you understand something, so you find the right words to explain it. When you feel something, they find the right words to express that emotion. So the Zohar says it's not so. Where do words come from? They come from Chachm. They're rooted in that place. It's beyond words. It's beyond logic and beyond in the subconscious. They come from the neshama, from the soul. Words are very deep. Words are very powerful. On one hand, words are inert. Words are dead. They're just a vehicle, just a container. Whatever you put into the words, it's a transportation. You want to convey a feeling, you want to express a feeling, you put it into words. They're interchangeable. I can say the same thing in many different words. Same people could explain the same concept. This one will explain it in his way, and this one will explain the same idea. I can say two plus two is four. I can say it in many different ways. Everyone has their own words. So words seem to be interchangeable. Words are external. Words are superficial. You don't need words for yourself. If you're alone, you don't need words. If you're Robinson Crusoe, who are you going to talk to? <laughs> so words are superficial. But on the other hand, 
he's saying it's not true. Words are rooted in the Chachma, in the deepest, in the highest. And that's why words are magical. Words are soulful. If you find the right words, poetry, if you find the right words, words lift up your soul. They inspire you. They stick with you. You hear one word and it'll stay with you for the rest of your life. If you're lucky enough to have that teacher, we were lucky maybe in all the 12, 12 years in school, we had one good teacher that just left an impression on us and the words will stick with us for the rest of our lives. Words, letters are very powerful because words are really rooted in the soul. And he's going, as he's going to explain now. And therefore, the point he's making here is that if your experience is limited to pure experience and you can't put it into words, it's not just you're missing a detail, okay? Pure experience. I couldn't put it into words. No. If you can't put it into words, then you miss, you miss the whole point. Because since words are rooted in the subconscious and chachma, the same place where pure experience comes from, therefore I could take that experience and put it into words. And this gets to the whole essence of what Judaism is, and this gets to the whole essence really of what Chabad is. Because, you know, the whole point of meditation and all other spiritual, spiritual disciplines is really to get to a place that's beyond words. Meditate and focus until you completely, you know, repeat the mantra for hours and hours until your mind stops thinking in words. You, you arrive in a place of pure nirvana, pure bliss, no words, pure experience. Yeah, that's, that's true. Once you realize you're able to step back beyond words and realize that words and the conscious level is only external, and, and your ego, and there's, there's a place that's beyond that. And that's your, way of, that's your window to the infinite, and that's the mystical experience. Basically, one word. That's the mystical experience, to go beyond words, to go to a place that's beyond words. Pure experience, pure soul. When you realize that the words are just external, and that your soul transcends words, and when you're able to experience that through meditation or, or other methods, that is enlightenment, that is nirvana, that is mystical experience. Comes along Yiddishkeit, comes along Hasidus Chabad, Chabad Hasidus, Alter Rebbe, and says, no. We have to articulate everything into words. You have to be able to put everything into words. Even that infinite experience, that experience is totally beyond words. You have to be able to put it into words. And if you can't put it into words, it's not like you're missing icing on the cake, you're missing a detail. You're missing the whole point. You're missing that whole experience. Why is the Garden of Eden so pleasurable? Such, such an ecstasy, such a reward, an eternal reward for the soul. So exquisite. Because it's that impossible combination, it's that paradox. It's putting into words something that's really beyond words. It's taking the dot and putting it in the palace. Merging, marrying the two. And they only enhance and amplify each other. To articulate the inarticulate. Because if you don't put something into words, what does that mean? 
So you're going to a place that's beyond the ego. But it's not you. Words are you. It's your ego. So yes, you can, you can escape yourself and escape your ego. But it's really a, a, a vacation from reality. It's not the real you. So you, you're jumping off, you're going to heaven, you're running on, the, on some Tibetan mountain, you're tuning in and tuning out and playing dead 10 hours a day. But, you know, it's an escapism. You're running away. It's not you. If you can't put it into words, okay, you can li you're living in a different dimension. You tuned in, you tuned out, you escaped, you ran away. It's not real. That's easy. To escape is easy. That's not reality. It's only if you can put it in words. Words are me. Words, if I can articulate it, that means I've internalized it. That means I've integrated it. That means it's me. It's real. And that's where the real pleasure is. The real pleasure is, is in Bina, he says. Is understanding. Analytical understanding, grasping, firmly grasping, fleshing it out, explaining it, being able to explain it, being able to talk about it, being able to articulate it. Because it's only in Bina that, that's you, that's real, it's me. Otherwise I'm, I'm, I'm off in outer space. I'm stuck in outer space, but it's not reality. But it's not Bina per se, it's not just words and letters, because most words and letters drown out the soul, cover up in the soul, hide the soul, conceal the soul. But we're talking about words and letters that are soul, that are godly, that inspire the dot in the palace. Words that, that describe the inarticulate. Words that move you, that stir you, that resonate within you. A word that captures something that's beyond words. That's poetry. A word that captures something that's beyond words. Only then do you shift, do you move forward, do you change. Then, then it's powerful. That combination is so powerful. But it's rare. Most people don't even know that possibility exists. The ideal is nirvana. It's tune in, tune out. Escapism, mysticism. Disconnect yourself. Run away. Become the monk, the nun, the Tibetan. Uh, uh, that's escapism. On the other hand, it's not just about words. Words, philosophy, words, words are very external. Words are very superficial. But it's merging the two. The dot and the palace. It's the you together with the hey. It's the letters and words that capture something that's beyond words. And it's interesting, in, the, in this revolutionary approach to psychology, we were discussing earlier called focusing that is the whole point the point is it's when you find discover from a place that's very deep down inside of you words that are capturing your experience that resonate with your experience that move you forward and that's the perfect marriage words are powerful without words uh, without words we're living in la la land <laughs> you know it's not reality Pure experience, it doesn't, it's not real. But to merge the two, to have words, but words 
that resonate with it. If the words fall flat, doesn't evoke any response within you, then it's not emes, it's words, it's empty words, which describes most words and most books. Empty, brilliant, but who cares? So what? It doesn't change you, it doesn't inspire you, it doesn't move you, it doesn't affect you. You don't internalize it, you don't integrate it. It's not real, it's interesting ideas, so what? Brilliant ideas, who cares? But if you're able to marry the two words that resonate, that capture the experience, then you have the dot in the palace. Then you have that pure pleasure that comes from you understanding, grasping, mastering, being able to articulate. That means you've totally internalized it. But at the same time, what are you internalizing? What are you grasping? Something that's infinite. Something that's coming from a deeper place, from within inside of you. From, it's touching the infinite, the subconscious. It's a whole different level of knowing and experiencing, but captured in words. This is the paradox. Like all things in life that are real are paradoxical. And that's why the rabbis say that the youth Olam Haba comes from the Yud. Why? Because even letters and words come from the Yud. Letters and words are not just superficial and external. Letters and words are soulful. And that's what we're going to learn next. How letters and words, people don't even realize where letters come from, where words come from. We don't even think twice about speaking. But you know how difficult it is to speak? <laughs> Try teaching a special needs child who can't speak. Try teaching them to speak. Try teaching a patient who had a stroke who has to learn how to speak. You think playing, you think playing violin is difficult? Playing that the rear instrument is difficult? It's nothing in comparison to the difficulty of speaking. You know how difficult it is to speak? And yet we go through our whole life, we don't even think twice about it. We don't even, we don't even realize what we're doing. It's not, it's not like taking lessons, guitar lessons, piano lessons, you have to sit and learn, and the notes and the keys. And You don't even realize you have notes, you don't even realize you have keys, you don't even realize, you don't even know what goes into sound, what goes into words, what makes the word, what makes the sound, what makes the letter. It's completely unselfconscious. So where are words and letters rooted in? In the unselfconscious, in the subconscious, in the chachma. It's directly from the soul. It's not an external, superficial thing. On the contrary. It's the most deepest and the most profound. And that's why when you hear words, Torah words, words of prayer, which is life's poetry, prayer, talking to Hashem, the words, the heat, the prayer, the Jewish prayers, or Torah, mitzvah, these are words that stir these are words that resonate these are words that touch you in the deepest places because words are soulful words are not external superficial, words are rooted in the chachma, that's what the Zohar says the father, Abba, which refers to chachma, which is the dot, the point versus the mother is referred to the bina because just like the father gives the dot, the sperm and the mother is the one who develops the child and they give birth to the emotions. 
So the Chochmah, the Abba, which referred to the Father, the origin, the point, and everything is contained in the point, in potential form, so the Abba is the one who gives birth to the daughter. The daughter refers to words and letters, Malchus. The son refers to the, seven, the six emotions, and the daughter is, refers to the words and letters that receive and convey and express and communicate the emotion, because the woman is communication. That's her whole being. That's why it says ten measures of speech were given in this world. The woman took nine and the man took one. And it's not a put-down, but it's a reality. It, because it's communication. You know, you ask, you ask, uh, you ask a, a guy about an experience, the most unbelievable experience. In two minutes, he's done. <laughs> you ask a woman about her shopping, you have three hours. Because everything is an experience. You don't just talk about it. It's, it's a whole... You relive it. It's not just... So for a man, the whole child is one dot. It happens in one minute. And for the woman, it's nine months. But then you get a child. You get a fully fledged, fleshed out, 248 limbs, 365 veins. That's the difference between man and woman. Because by her, she, it's experience. Everything is personalized. Man is abstract. So abstract, it's, everything is a dot. Everything is a point, And it's over. It's finished. Um, but... When you experience it and you live it, so that's why you have the Av, the Father, is the Chachma, the creative mind, the Chachma that we're discussing here. The uh, Bina, the analytical mind, that's the mother. They give birth to the emotions, the son and the daughter. The son represents the emotions, and the daughter represents the words uh, that receive it and communicate it and the experiencing. And that's why halachically, a Jewish family fulfill the first obligation in the Torah, the first mitzvah, the 613 mitzvah, by chronological order in Bereshis, in the beginning, in the book of Genesis, that a husband and wife have to give birth to a boy and a, and a girl, a son and daughter. And that's a complete Jewish family. So, because that's the Chachma, the Bina, because we're created in the image of Hashem, and then you have the six emotions, and you have the Malchus. So the Zohar says, Abba Yisad Brata, the daughter direct, is directly connected to the father. Because where do letters and words come from? They're soulful. They come from the deepest place in the soul. The ability to communicate, the need to communicate, comes from the deepest place in the soul. But you know, before we go, get into this, let's just open up, because uh, this is a fascinating, uh, the whole next piece, and the whole explanation of speech and letters and words. Let's just open up for any questions, comments, thoughts. It's very, very difficult paradox here, really. Very, very difficult. Pleasure comes from the left brain, and yet you say that it comes from the right brain as well. So this combination is very difficult to comprehend. Because the creative person, when he has a eureka moment, that pleasure is indescribable. When, when you have that pure experience and something like shifts inside of you and you jump up, you can't even compare. It's like we have two teachers. You have a teacher who's creative, has creative mind, original mind. He's much more exciting than the brilliant analytical professor who can articulate it because it's the novelty and the innovation and the insights. You know, the analytical professor could be doesn't have a, a creative bone in his body, but he can take a subject and talk it to death and explain it to death and understand it to death and, and that gives you a satisfaction just mastering it and knowing it very well 
owning it. The creative idea, you don't own it. It's vague, it's fuzzy, it's, it's, it's... But the excitement, that's why you have people entrepreneurs. They love innovating. They love starting businesses. Once, once they're past the starting, they get bored. They sell their companies, they have no interest. They lose interest. They give it over, they hand it over to someone who then can take the concept and break it down and structure. He has, he's bored with structure. He, he's, his mind's all over the place, creating and innovating and seeing things that no one else sees. The artist looks at the same thing everyone else sees and he sees something that no one else saw. That's the creative genius. So which is more exciting? Each one has a different... So the purity of pleasure is in Chachma. That pure excitement, of, that pure experience. It's, it's indescribable and in, incomparable. But on the other hand, when does the person have pleasure? It's only when you understand it. If you can't articulate it and you can't grasp it and you can't communicate it and you can't explain it in words, then, then you know, when you see something, the creative person, his ego is, is almost as if he's not there. He's like so absorbed in the concept. He sees, he has, he's open. So the pleasure, it's pure pleasure. But it's not so much his pleasure. When does the person have his pleasure and he experiences the pleasure on a very personal level when you understand it, when you can articulate it, and you can explain it, and you put it into words? But here the Zohar is talking about the dot in the palace when you have the combination of both. You're able to articulate, put it into words, that pure experience. And that's very difficult. Mm -hmm. It's counterintuitive, it's very difficult, and most people can't do it naturally because pure experience is pure experience. It's beyond words. Words are nothing to do with pure experience. To be able to capture that pure experience in words, this is the uniqueness of the Alter Rebbe, by the way. This is the whole revolution of Hasidus Chabad, the Alter Rebbe. There are many uh, Hasidic discourses that we have, Alter Rebbe said, that are missing lines. What happened was, Alter Rebbe was a mystic par excellence. When he would say the Hasidic discourse, he wasn't just talking about these ideas. He lived these ideas. He experienced these ideas. Many times, he would go into a, a, a mystical trance and he would start rolling on the floor. Out of ecstasy, he wouldn't even notice. When Alter Rebbe prayed, sometimes he would just bang his head in the wall. He didn't even feel it. And they had to pad his room. He shouldn't, he shouldn't hurt himself because he would get so... The Talmud says Rabbi Kiva would jump when he was davening alone. He would jump from one end of the synagogue to the other. He was a mystic par excellence. Rabbi Kiva was one of the four who entered paradise while he was alive. You know, the pardism. He entered the pardis, had that deep mystical experience and came back intact and whole. Now, the Alter Rebbe, in those days, was no tape recorders. And many times in the Hasidic discourse was on Shabbat. You couldn't even write it. So... How the Rebbe had were Hasidim who memorized almost word for word what the Rebbe said. And after Shabbat, they would write it down. They had unbelievable memories. And the key to good memory is not necessarily the one who has the best head. The key is the ability to listen. Most people don't know what it means to listen. Most people don't have the ability to listen. Even people who get paid to listen don't listen to a word you say. <laughs> Listening is about putting your ego on the side. Very few people have that ability to put their egos on the side. It's all about I, I, I. Even when someone is coming to you for advice, you're not listening to a word they're saying. You're thinking of your clever response. Of your, you didn't hear a word the person said. Sometimes the person doesn't even need you to say anything. <laughs> Just needs you to listen. And, and you know, you ever try it? Try listening to someone once. Don't say a word. Or just repeating exactly what the person said. 
almost word for word. It's very difficult. Try it once. It's called active listening. But you know what? The person will tell you at the end of maybe an hour or two, you're such a wonderful conversationalist. <laughs> you didn't say a word. <laughs> Your advice is brilliant. You didn't say anything. But when a person listens, he's able to go forward. I guess he's stuck. Maybe he's been stuck for four years repeating the same nonsense over and over and over and over. Listen to you can go forward. You can you can go a little deeper. So, the ability to listen to the Rebbe, put your ego on the side, putting your ego aside and taking in what the other person is saying, and almost listening word for word and repeating it. This is a rare quality. It's a unique quality. It's not necessarily the one who's most brilliant. The one who's most brilliant is full of himself. It doesn't necessarily have the ability to truly listen. He's, he's so filled with himself. There's no room for anyone else. He's not listening to anything and to anyone. So this, these Hasidim had the ability to completely remove their ego and listen and almost word for word. Sometimes the Rebbe spoke for an hour or two and after Shabbat, after Yom Tov, they were sitting right almost word for word. Now what happens when the Rebbe started rolling? <laughs> they couldn't hear. So they would roll together with the Rebbe <laughs> trying to listen. Some words they got, most of it they didn't. That's why you see in a lot of these Hasidic discourses there's like blanks, like empty lines because they missed but what's the most fascinating part of the whole thing? That even when the Rebbe was in this deep mystical trance and experience, he did not stop speaking. This is the Alter Rebbe. This is the Tanya. This is Hasidus Chabad versus all other Hasidic movements. And this is what Judaism is, the essence of Judaism. To articulate the inarticulate. Just to have pure mystical experiences and close your eyes and go into <laughs> pure ecstasy. That, that's, that makes sense. That's natural. <laughs> but Dr. Rebbe says, no. We have to have the dot in the palace to merge the two, this impossible paradox, this godly divine paradox, to have the chokhmah and the mina, to have words and letters that are able to capture something that resonates so deeply within you, to capture faith and godliness that's infinite, that's able to capture something that's so beyond you. And yet you capture it in your words. You find the words that capture something that are beyond words. So, so you're present. It changes you. It affects you. It moves you. So you're internalizing the infinite. This is the paradox of the Garden of Eden. This is the meaning of a Garden of Eden. It's in the spiritual world. It's a spiritual world even without the Garden of Eden. But the Garden of Eden is that paradox. It's that godly combination of the point in the palace. And that's why the ecstasy is indescribable. That's why it's the eternal reward for the soul of those who live this life and study Torah and did mitzvah. Because you're putting into words and therefore you have pleasure. It's you, the soul, that's finite and limited and it's grasping understanding. But it's grasping and understanding that pure experience of godliness, of the infinite light of Hashem. Makes you almost want to go to the Garden of Eden. But <laughs> while, while we're alive, <laughs> let's stay in this world. Because the truth is, we can get some of the Garden of Eden while we're alive. By studying the Tanya, studying Hasidus, especially during prayer, you get to experience, articulate, inarticulate, you get to experience some of that pleasure, some of that ex experiencing godliness, but experiencing in a way that you can grasp and understand and putting into words something that's really beyond words. So these words are not dry words. The paradox is because words are very superficial. Words are very dry. 
Words are very mechanical. Words could be very technical. We have universities and colleges with words and words and words and, uh, you know, uh, an overdose of words. It's, uh, we're drowning in words. And there's no illumination and there's no inspiration and it's all lies. Ex and if it's not lies, it's external, superficial, missing the point. Words can be very frustrating. Even our own words. We speak to ourselves and we're stuck. Years later, with the same words we repeat in our head, if we took a tape recorder and listened to the words that we speak to ourselves, A, we wouldn't treat our worst enemy the way we treat ourselves. <laughs> mm. We beat ourselves up, we criticize. Our worst enemy would not call us the names that we call ourselves. And, and, and the words don't, are flat. They don't move us, they don't inspire us. And years later, we're the same, same position we were before. If not, if we didn't go backwards. So words are very external, mechanical. That's why it's so frustrating. People speak and speak and speak, and it's not to the point. There's no inspiration, there's no illumination, there's no movement, there's no uplift, there's no, there's no godliness, there's no emmes, there's no... It's all beating around the bush, and it's very frustrating. But then when you hear words, chassidus, words that sear into your soul, words that like a depth charge goes right to the essence, right to your core, it lifts you up, it inspires you, it resonates, it touches you, it moves you, it changes you. It's not just cerebral. It gets you moving, it gets you ch changed physically. You become a Jew, you start living like a Jew. You want to live like a Jew, you want to act like a Jew, and live like a Jew, and think like a Jew. It moves you, it lifts you up, it gives, it's a shot in the... This is Emmas, this is Judaism, this is Yiddishkeit. Chabad is not philosophy. The philosopher... Per se, a philosopher is not a God-fearing person. It doesn't become a godly person or an egoless person or a kinder person or a more genuine person. Some philosophers are so open-minded their, their, brains, their brains fall out. <laughs> you know, so all the philosophy in the world, it's like it's so mindless. It's a palace without a point. A lot of words, a lot of brilliance. But nonsense. All these, all these philosophers in the last few years wrote books there's no God, God forbid. I mean, I mean, it's wasting their whole life, wasting their brains, wasting their minds on the most nonsense that any five-year-old can tell them it's pure nonsense. It's so foolish, inane. So, so, so where did all the brilliance get you? Then you have pure experience. So there are people who run away. They can't handle it. They run away from the West. And they want to become pure, spiritual, mystical, and they run to the mountaintop. And but that's also not the right answer. That's, it doesn't sound MS. It's not the point. It's only when you're able to bring the point in the palace, to live in this world. And yet, the words in your life are words that resonate, words that inspire, words that are wholesome, words that touch you in the deepest place. The actions in your life, the behavior in your life, the way you think and the way you speak and the way you act, the Jewish way of life, the code of Jewish law, are, are behavior that inspires and resonates with the deepest part within you. That's liberation. That's freedom. That's endless. That's pleasurable. It's indescribable. All the physical pleasures in the world can't compare to the pleasure of living that type of life. It's the great Hasidic master, and we'll finish with this, I believe he's a Badichev. We discussed this the other week. He, he, uh, he couldn't sleep all night, the night of Sukkoth. He couldn't sleep the first night of Sukkoth. He couldn't wait till the morning so he can bench the lulav and the esrit. 
And he was so excited that he didn't, he, he didn't even really didn't notice that the Lulav and Esther was behind the window glass, a window pane. So he stuck his arm into the, smashed the glass, and he didn't even notice his arm was bleeding. He took the Lulav and Esther and shook it and made Shachi Yonu and made the bless, till his Gabai, his Shamash, walked in, the beetle walked in, and he saw the rabbi's hand is bleeding, and he realized what happened. Could you imagine anything in the physical world, such pure ecstasy? Nothing in the physical world even comes close. So imagine a Jew who's so alive. This is, this is a taste of the Garden of Eden in this world. When your behavior, the way you think like a Jew, you act like a Jew, you, you, you speak like a Jew. A behavior that resonates, uplifts, wholesome, profound. This is Torah, this is mitzvah. That's why to us Torah is a gift. It's not a burden. It's not a guilt, obligations. It's a gift. Hashem gave us, this is Ganeiden. And this is what generates Ganeiden. When you live and you live a life of Torah and mitzvah, then after 120 years, this generates that experience, that Ganeiden. But we can get a little taste of it. You don't have to wait till after 120. Be in good health. You get a little a taste of it in this world, thank God, by studying the Tanya and uh, internalizing it and to be continued. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.